Welcome to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by the law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hanson, hosted by attorneys Sean Garner and Adam Hanson. Welcome back to another edition of Life, Death, and the Law. I'm attorney Adam Hanson. I'm in the studio today with the one and only Mr. Sean Garner, my partner in crime. And uh, we've got Cody Beeson with us as well, pushing buttons and turning dials, trying to make us sound as good as he can. Um, what Sean and I have been really focused on lately is this issue of central banking and their impetus or their desire to move towards a digital type currency. And in order to get there, they're wanting a little bit more information of our of us. So we're going to call that personal data. And they've tried their best to do certain actions over the course of the last, I would say, year and a half, things kind of lining up. And Sean, you're going to review that with us over the air about how their focus is really to gain access to our spending habits, I would argue, um, and see where we're, we're transacting our business, what we're doing on a daily basis. What would be the motivation for that on a government level? Well, they want to make sure that, number one, we're being truthful when we file our tax returns and, and not getting out of any transactions that they feel like, well, this person needs to pay tax for that or pay capital gains on this, that, or the other because of the basis that they had in it at one time and now it's gone up when they sold it. So nothing would be, not that I'm saying or suggesting that we hide stuff from the government, but there are a lot of different ways to what we call tax plan. And Sean, you and I do this all the time, especially for our law firm. We have an accountant that we use to give us advice in advance. And so they can foresee some things coming down the road and they'll say, okay, Sean and Adam, you guys should probably do this, that, or the other, just in case this happens. Um, And so we'll plan accordingly. We'll actually run our business in such a way that we're ready for an event that might happen tax-wise. And so that's very wise a wise way to conduct yourself. Well, those types of strategies using a uh, professional's advice and following that advice, sometimes it's going to use the tax code in such a way that it gives us a benefit. And that's what I would argue one of the good things about having a professional guide you through that process. In fact, when, when uh, Sean and I do legal work for the community, if we know of a strategy that can help our client and we don't discuss that with them or we don't try to implement that or at least give them the option, then we would be committing malpractice. So the idea of an an accountant helping us not evade taxes, but plan for a possible tax in one way or another, and then don't do that thing that was going to be taxed, instead do this other thing, that's what we call good planning. And it's not tax evasion, it's just tax planning. And so it's not unethical for an accountant to do that. That's what their job is. If they weren't telling us how to find, I don't want to say loopholes, loopholes is a trigger word for some people, but if they're not showing us, listen, this is what the law says, but you can get away with this if you do this strategy and you'll save a lot of in taxes. And I think this really comes up a lot of, a lot in the like uh, political cycles when we see for example, a presidential candidate running, everybody wants to see their tax return. Um, with the Trump administration, that, that was for four years the mantra of the Democratic Party that they that Trump had not released his tax returns, and Trump continually says they're private. You have no reason to see those. And he would be candid about the way that he used the tax code. And I don't 
people, the, his opponents really kind of criticized him for that or, or create him as an enemy or talk about that as like some sleazy thing to do. It's like, that's what people do. If you're not doing that, then you're an idiot because that's what the tax code is designed to do. And you're not seeking good advice. You're just spending money or at least giving money to the government. And then you can't control it after that. And we've talked multiple times over over the course of a couple of years now of when you give your money to the government through taxes, I'm not saying run from taxes or don't file taxes or, or evade taxes. I'm saying once you give it to the government through, through um, tax means, you have no control over it. And they're going to use it probably frivolously. I, I, I'm, I'm 100% sure of that because I've seen government waste in everything that we do. And um, from personal experience, so giving my money to an entity that does not hold it sacred or care about my money once it gets to them and uses it for whatever purpose they want without consulting me, I feel like that's uh, really theft, to be honest with you. So I'm reluctant to give my money away to an entity that I don't have control of. And uh, Cody, you were going to pipe in and say something. Oh, I was just going to say it's already spent. By the time you send your taxes, I mean, it's just paying back a debt that we've already borrowed from. A lot of that goes to social programs, I would argue, you know, that have been put in place over the, the decades of our government acting. Um, Sean, what's your concern about central banking getting into the, the business of uh, digital currencies? Does that concern you, or are you excited for this new app, FedNow? Well, so... Th- it concerns me on a whole bunch of different levels. I can't see a positive. I'm looking to, to attempt to see a positive. I know what the narrative is, and that is that uh, if we control things centrally, then it'll be more efficient, and it could be more equitable and fair. And uh, so let's look back at the track record, because those are very easy talking points. But how often has the federal government taken over something that could be done, substituted in the private market, and done a better job at it? Um, obviously, the federal government needs to provide for national defense. We, we, on the private market, actually produce the weapons. It, it's not the federal government that is producing the missiles and the tanks and the Humvees. It's, it's the private market that actually produces the weapons. The federal government just buys those, and we all know that when they buy them, they get, they're paying way more than market value for those types of things, and that's because they're the only purchaser for those types of things. We can't go out there and buy a tank. You and I, Adam, can't go out there and buy a tank. I know you don't like that, but that's the fact. And, uh, you know, a Javelin missile or something like that. And so uh, without getting too far in the weeds, other than defense, I don't see how the federal government can do anything better than the private market, and especially when it comes to um, assisting in, in bank transactions. It's a really good thing for there to be thousands of banks competing for my business. There was a commercial that came out maybe a decade ago that it was Lending Tree, and you go to Lending Tree. And you go to this one spot and banks compete for your business. And that was their whole ad that, do you want to go somewhere where banks compete for your business? Just submit your application for a loan at LendingTree and uh, they will make banks compete for the best interest rate on the best terms for the loan that you're looking for. And that gets people excited because they know when there's competition in the market, then you're going to get the best outcome that's available. When you get a lot of people out there that are smart and and looking for innovative ways to accomplish what you want to get done, then you as a consumer get to make the ultimate decision and you have the control. You get to vote 
economically for what services and goods that you're going to receive with your dollar. And then you have the people that are constantly trying to innovate and make better systems. And we have thousands, tens of thousands, millions of innovators here in the country trying to make life better for the rest of us because when they do, they'll earn our business. When you switch that over to the federal government, you take all that competition and throw it away. And it's, it's like going and, and playing a game where the referees are part of the, part of the game. They're the players in the game. They get to dribble the ball. They get to shoot the ball. They get to determine whether or not the basket counts. And so then the game becomes just a farce. It's, it's not even a reality anymore. When the central bank gets to compete with other lenders out there and other, um, well, right now we're talking a lot about um, money ex- systems of exchange and, and transfers of currency. So we've got Apple Pay and we've got uh, Zelle and uh, Venmo, PayPal. I mean, a all, ton of them. Yeah, all those different options. And so when you get uh, the central bank involved in that, well, they get to regulate how those transactions occur. And they're actually participating in the market. So that's where I get back to that analogy. It's the referee playing in the game. It's not a fair game anymore. There is no real competition. We all know that competition makes better players and for the game to actually be real. And so the, the, the central government getting involved, the central bank getting involved with this is going to destroy competition. And we can know from common sense and hundreds of examples that when you destroy competition, the efficiency of the, the system declines rapidly. And we have no accountability when something fails. And there will be failures. There always are. Sometimes I'm sure Zelle has gone down. Apple Pay hasn't worked. PayPal, you know, your, your password you know, locks you out. And those are all system failures at some point or another. But you either look at getting it resolved with a company and they want to continue your business or you take your business elsewhere. With the central bank being the player, what type of accountability can you really expect? You think you're going to call up somebody at the, at the central bank and say, hey, I'm trying to buy something at Amazon. It's this book about how the government is corrupt. And the, for some reason, the transaction is not going through. I don't understand. Can you help me out with that? You, you think you're going to get some nice, cheery person on the other line saying, oh, yeah, we'll make sure that your money goes to buy whatever you want, even if it's talking negatively about us? It seems crazy, but it's very possible. I mean, that, that's the way the world is, is moving. Uh, look at what, what China has with the social credit score. Look at what Canada did when the... Um, truckers. The truckers. I was going to say the... the the funds for the truckers. It wasn't even the truckers' bank accounts. It was people that donated to the truckers. Yes. They got frozen out. So Justin Trudeau, he's one step ahead. And so if we yeah. want to see a foreshadowing of what could happen with that, and, and, and he had less power than what they're actually proposing with the CBDC, he had to coordinate with the banks to freeze the accounts that the donors set up for these truckers. And um, the banks had to cooperate in that. And so there was, there, he was one step behind what the CDBC is proposing, and that is government control over banking with government having immediate control over this banking system. Then if we don't do something that the government perceives as a socially just cause, 
boom, your bank account is frozen. And I think we're seeing that. What my biggest fear is that it's used. The government uses political, um, like a b- political baton against you. So we've seen recently that uh, that reporter out in New York City, I think it was, he he reported before Congress, and the day he was supposed to go and do that, the IRS showed up at his door. We've seen these raids on President Trump after he's out of office um, for documents in Mar-a-Lago. We're seeing agencies overstep their bounds that we've seen traditionally be able to keep them within um, a certain context. And now we're seeing that they, they just don't care. If they, want, if they don't like you politically or they don't like what you're doing, then they're going to use their force or, or at least use show of force such that it's going to freeze or hopefully um, halt the activity of that individual. And so if you're operating in such a way that you you live a traditional life, let's say, a traditional morally standard life and what used to be considered a morally standard life, and our political system is moving away from that or it doesn't like that or it's you're suddenly attacked by this mob of social justice warriors – and your government is part of that, they could take your, not take, that would be a government taking, but they could make it difficult to get your money out of out of the bank if they're the ones that are overseeing that, you know, or they could penalize you. It's not a tax, not a taking, it's a penalty because of something that you've said or done or acted on um, online or they just get a whim from hearsay that somebody says, well, this person's doing this, that, or the other. They didn't get vaccinated, so we're going to penalize them um, by hitting their bank account. That, those things are all possibilities. And, the, and to think that that's a far reach is, I would say, ludicrous. I mean, I, I, that's, if you can't that is connect, a natural progression. If you can't connect these dots, then you're, you're living out there in la-la land. Because just look back at COVID. What happened during COVID? Why were the central banks so involved? What they were really pushing was a digital ID. They really, they, they, they've been pushing a digital ID system for a long time. But when COVID came out, they really followed through with that mantra, let no crisis go to waste. And they used that crisis to say, we need a digital ID so we know who's vaccinated and then they can travel freely across the borders or even throughout the country. And uh, the digital ID is necessary as well for a digital currency. Now, the digital currency here in the United States would be something new for us, but there are a lot of other countries that are currently doing it, and we've got the World Economic Forum that meets, and there are these uber elites and uber rich people that they want to have a centralized form of government for the world. They want to control policies of of the world, not just individual nations, kind of like a um, European Union, but of of all the, the world. And this is super scary because these people are not democratically elected. These people are going to make uh, policies that we have no voice or participation in in whether or not they're good or bad and whether or not they're being implemented properly and whether or not we want to pull them out of their positions of power. We have to take a break, but we'll be back with more of this discussion. 560 AM, KBLU, Life, Death, and the Law. Coming up, more thought-provoking conversations on life, death, and the law right after this. 
Hey, you, my Dave Ramsey here. If you listen to our show or know anything about us, then you know I only recommend products and services I trust and I believe in. That's why when it comes to protecting your assets and planning for your loved one's future, you've got to call my friends Sean Garner and Adam Hansen at the law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen. I encourage you to take the first step and attend a free, no-pressure seminar and learn all of your options. The firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen has been educating the Yuma community for over 40 years, and this is the only area of law that they practice. Sean and Adam believe in giving free education to help people make smart decisions about their assets and help them leave a legacy for their family that they can be proud of. Schedule a free personal consultation today. Call 783-4575 or visit YumaEstatePlanning.com. You're listening to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by Deason, Garner, and Hanson, the law firm that has been voted Yuma's best six years in a row. Welcome back to Life, Death, and Law. I'm attorney Adam Hanson. I'm with uh, my partner, Sean Garner, and we've got Cody Beeson as well with us. The last segment, we were talking a lot about the central banks trying to move towards a digital currency. And Sean, I really liked what you highlighted that if we're paying attention, and you should be, you can just you know search news articles over the last year and a half. You can see this momentum moving towards a digital currency type system, not just for United States citizens, but kind of all over the world. All these central banks around the world are trying to move towards the system. And Sean, in the last segment, you mentioned about how they're trying to create this digital persona or tracking system, and rightfully so. If if there's going to be a digital infrastructure, they've got to be able to track those transactions that are happening. One of the the biggest things that happened when Bitcoin was initially coming out in like 2009 was the potential it had for hiding transactions and uh, things of fraud or money laundering or using money, transacting business for illegal purposes like prostitution or uh, human trafficking or drug trafficking. And so the Bitcoin was used in the very beginning for that kind of stuff. I mean, criminals are going to go towards a system that is not tracked where I can pay somebody else for these services or these illegal acts without being monitored. That's like an awesome world for a criminal to be in. And so governments around the world took notice of this and they quickly tried to clamp down on that that type of a transaction system. And so central banks, when they say, well, we're going to put together this system for you and everything's going to be better for you because it's for the greater good, number one, because we're going to really kind of bring down costs. And the way that we're going to do that is you don't need to worry about a Visa or a MasterCard transaction fee when you use your cards because everything goes through us and we're not going to charge as much as they charge. And so really what they're doing, like Sean mentioned before, is they're getting into the private market of digital transactions and charging fees for every time you use that card or swipe that card, you're going to get a transaction fee. Now what the federal government is saying, well, ours is going to be less than a Visa or a MasterCard. So come with us, come use our system, and it's going to be so much easier for you. What I often find in these arguments on the government side is that, the number one, it's going to be for the greater good. It's better for everybody. Yeah. If, if you do this, then your neighbor is going to be benefited, It's, it's so you should do it kind of thing. And that's really kind of what they use for all arguments, whether it's gun violence or they, they vaccinations, vaccinations yeah. right? 
It's not for you. It's not about you. It's about your neighbor. You need to get vaccinated or you're a horrible person. That's always the mantra. And I get that. I get that understand that uh, social aspect of things. But at the same time, in my life, what I've found is, yes, I do receive acts of service from other people around me. But when it comes down to it, you're responsible for what you do. If I do, if I make a decision, I have to be ready to face the consequences of that decision, whether it's going to be good or bad. What we've come up with, and you talked about this a couple of weeks ago, Sean, was that idea of insulating individuals from natural consequences of maybe a bad decision. And that comes in the form of bailing banks out or bailing individuals out when it comes to the negative consequence of an, a particular act. So in my life, have there been bailouts privately? Probably. You know, I off the top of my head, I don't remember a lot. But uh, if I were to sit down and think about maybe when I was in a pickle, I'm sure I had a family member or a friend come in and, and help me out in some particular way. And I really appreciate that. But notice that it wasn't the government that was doing that. They're not coming quickly to my aid um, to put that that uh, help or, or give me service. It's, it's the people around me in my circle, my family or my friends. And that's really what it ought to be about is the, the public or the, the um, private charity of an individual. If they want to help and serve, uh, which we all should, um, we'll feel better about that, but we don't need to be obligated to do it or forced to do it by a government system. And the government says, well, yeah, we're going to force you to get the vaccination. You're, we're going to force you to serve your neighbor. Um, that's how we work because it's for the greater good. I understand it constitutionally. They have a, a duty. They, the government, the government has a duty to protect its citizens. That's what it's, de- that's what it's designed to do. And so if you extrapolate that argument, well, this is another way of us protecting our citizens. If you don't get vaccinated or if you are able to carry a gun, we don't want you to harm somebody else with that gun. So we're going to take that gun away from you. It's for the greater good. You know, we don't want crazy people walking around with guns. Not that you're crazy, but we don't want anybody just walking around with guns. We, we know better than you. We can decipher if you're crazy or not, or if you deserve a gun. We can decipher or not if you are going to be a contagion risk to others around you and you need to be vaccinated. We know more than you. That is the mantra of the government. Therefore, you need to trust us. And we've seen over the last three years what where that got us, especially uh, I was just what comes to mind initially was the uh, Hunter Biden laptop thing and how that letter came out from those 50 plus uh, spe- oh, yeah. special agents. It was supposed to be some organically drafted letter that came up from agents independently working together. And in reality, it was orchestrated from the Biden administration down, which is complete election fraud. I mean, that is a that is a federal crime. That is horrible. It, prison time. That's what that amounts to. So do you trust these people, your bank accounts now? Yeah. Yeah, that, that's, that's the question. And, and what, what do we have to compare it to? Only if we had some type of comparison that we could make an analysis. Well, we do. We've got the U.S. Postal Service. Now, oh. Well, you, you, are you laughing because it's a silly example or because it's so obviously failing in what it's attempting to achieve and, and, it, and against its counterparts or otherwise competitors in the market. Yeah, I live down, I'll give you an example. So I live on a road that's half paved. You can get halfway down it on a paved part and then it turns into gravel. Uh-huh. And um, so FedEx, UPS, every day I see them cruising around our neighborhood, you know, out in the dirt, on the dirt uh, gravel roads. But will the 
postal service come that far? No. My mailbox has to be a mile away because they won't set foot on the, the roads, you know? Yeah. I'm like, well, UPS does it all the time. Like, they're cruising around. Every day, they're just cruising around. Everything's fine with them, but the Postal Service cannot do that. It's against their policy. And what's interesting is, I mean, I would say, even with the stocks going up and down as they are, FedEx would be a good investment. UPS would be a good investment. These packages and these deliveries coming from uh, online ordering are, are only going up. Yet the U.S. Postal Service can't compete with all the head start that it had. I mean, it's been around since the beginning of the country. And with all the resources that it has, with all the central planning that it has, it can't compete. Not only can it not compete, it loses between $500 million and a billion dollars every month. That's how much a it, month. A month. That. That's how much it's subsidized. If you look it up, it's subsidized tremendously. Why is that? And then, well, they say, well, it's it's not fair because the USPS doesn't get to set its rates. Congress sets its rates. Well, that's exactly the point we're getting at. Be, a central controlled company cannot compete with a nimble, flexible company that's constantly innovating and looking at what its customers want and catering to what the customers want and need. There's that's, a word. There's a word for that. What is that word? It starts with a C. Oh, capitalism. <laughs> Exactly. We love capitalism, not just because it makes people wealthy, which it does, and not just because it gives us the goods and services better than any other system out there in the world, but because it allows for the competition to make the the, the best ideas and the best uh, implementation of those ideas come to the forefront. Because there's a big difference between a good idea and then actually bringing it to market and making it work. And capitalism combines the two. What I love about this idea that you're proposing here is that the innovation in the private sector is so much faster than in the public sector or in a government system. Uh, a good a good analogy, and we've read a lot of books over the years, Sean, you and I. One of those books uh, talked about Xerox back in the day and how they were on top of the world, yeah. and they just failed to innovate. They they got stuck in their rut, and they didn't keep up with technology, and they didn't change their business model. You've got to be able to be nimble. And uh, what is that? The 12-week year, I think, is the book that talks about Xerox and um, their downfall. Not downfall. I mean, they didn't go away, but, man, they, they almost went away. And a lot of that had to do with their stuck-in-a-rut kind of mentality. I just I bring that up because that's really how a lot of um, government – systems or agencies are run. You brought up the USPS, the United States Postal Service, and that's exactly, they, they do their thing. I mean, if I were in the military, it'd probably be the same. They hire optometrists, they hire dentists, and their standard of care is so much more rudimentary than going to, like your brother, for example, to Steve Garner's office um, at Gila Ridge Dental. He's got the latest greatest technology. He's up on that stuff. I had to have um, something done not too long ago. And um, it, what was that? It was a crown or something. And, and years ago, it used to be that they would take a mold of my teeth and then they would send it off to a, a guy who would look at that mold and he would handcraft that crown, that tooth that they're going to insert. Uh, now, by the time I got done with your, your brother, Sean, at Healy Ridge Dental, he he had the tooth already done. He did a digital scan with a 3D scanner in my mouth, and that computer system knew exactly how that tooth needed to be molded and formed, and then he sent it over to his, 
his milling uh, station that milled out automatically this perfectly exact tooth, and he had it done before I even left the office. So if I were to be in the Army or I would be in the Marine Corps, let's say, and being treated by, by a, a, a dentist in that scenario, that wouldn't happen. You know, they're just retroactively living in the Stone Age, if you want to call it that, because they just don't keep up with technology because they're not in the capitalist system. They don't have to be. They don't compete against anybody else. Well, we live in the real world, and, and competition, as we've seen in our lives, really brings forth the best of our products, of our services. And uh, that's why I argue capitalism all day long, because it really makes us all better for it. Now, in a capitalist system, Sean, am I, if, I, if I'm not putting forth the best product or another, another company is doing a better job at this particular product than me, would you give me a private loan to, to get my product up to snuff or to inject money into my, my company knowing that, well, this company over here looks better, performs better, and just markets better? Would you give me money to catch up with them, or yeah. how would that work? Yeah, probably not. Or I would charge you a high interest rate because I'm going to take a big risk because maybe you defy all the odds. And that happens sometimes, but your interest rate is going to reflect that. But is that socially just? Maybe you have some type of status that puts you higher up on the lending priority because your social status, because you have some type of minority protected status. And now that loan is, is, is going to be coerced from me to you. And that is where we really get into a tailspin. Instead of looking at the merits of your business, we look at who you are and the identity politics behind it. And that's, that's where we're really starting to crumble economically. We've got to take a break. This is 560 AM KBLU, Life, Death, and the Law. Coming up, more thought-provoking conversations on life, death, and the law right after this. Hey, you, my Dave Ramsey here. If you listen to our show or know anything about us, then you know I only recommend products and services I trust and I believe in. That's why when it comes to protecting your assets and planning for your loved one's future, you've got to call my friends Sean Garner and Adam Hansen at the law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen. I encourage you to take the first step and attend a free, no-pressure seminar and learn all of your options. The firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen has been educating the Yuma community for over 40 years, and this is the only area of law that they practice. Sean and Adam believe in giving free education to help people make smart decisions about their assets and help them leave a legacy for their family that they can be proud of. Schedule a free personal consultation today. Call 783-4575 or visit yumaestateplanning.com. You're listening to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by Deason, Garner, and Hanson, the law firm that has been voted Yuma's best six years in a row. Welcome back. This is Life, Death, and the Law. I'm Sean Garner, attorney with Deason, Garner, and Hanson. I'm in studio here with Adam Hanson and Cody Beeson. We just finished up talking about um, the CBDC, Central Bank Digital Currency, and how that is being rolled out in an app in July. Um, this isn't something that is this far-fetched idea that may or may not come about. This is an app that they're going to roll out in July. With It's called FedNow, so watch for that app. And they're going to um, lull people into using that app and getting comfortable with that app, and then they're going to 
push harder and more strenuously um, the central bank digital currency, I would expect it to be pushed really hard after the 2024 election. And um, if we have a Republican candidate, I would highly expect that it's just going to fall on its face because typically Republicans like free market in the capitalistic system. If we have um, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, which you know he announced last week that he's going to be running again, then I would expect that it's going to be pushed and promoted endlessly until everybody takes this dose of medicine and, and understands that if you're not in line with this, you're some type of rebel that needs to be put on an FBI watch list, kind of like those who are the anti-vaxxers. There's a lot up. You know, we all know that there's a lot at stake for these new elections, but there are some massive changes in how we worked in, in, in our economics and in society in general. Because with, Cody, you talked a little bit about um, China. They've got this social credit score, yeah. credit score that allows people greater access to their money when they comply with government policies or when they show support for government policies and restriction on their funds when they don't or when they travel outside of areas that the government would prefer them to stay in. And uh, that's exactly the type of control. So not only can the government then control how you spend your money, which is ultimately freedom in a nutshell, how you spend your money, your property is freedom and how you fall in line with government policies. Well, what if you contributed to uh, somebody that did not win an election? And now, you know, so like, let's say you contributed to Blake Masters, but, you know, it's, it's Kelly in there. So now you're on a list. Yeah, exactly. You know? So uh, fascism, and I don't want to get too deep into this, but fascism is, is a hard thing to define. But really what it is, is it is um, fundamentally being devout to a system that promotes certain companies over others. And so it's not communism. It's not where the the government takes over ownership of all of the means of production, but it's where the government promotes certain means of production and certain companies over other companies. Well, what are we seeing with this Green New Deal, right, This, this green movement? They're promoting certain businesses and certain industries over other industries in the name of the national good and in the name of saving saving the environment. Well, if the Democrats did this with their candidates in 2015, what makes you think they wouldn't do this with the private industry? And, and that's exactly, that's what fascism is, is if you're a true patriot, what you're going to do is you're going to adopt the EV movement. You're going to adopt renewable resources. You're going to disregard any negative science that comes about with um, developing renewable quote-unquote, resources and, and, and sources of energy, and you're just going to forget anything that would contradict the idea that we're in this global warming spiral, and you're just going to get on with a movement, and everybody's going to adopt solar panels, windmills, batteries, and electric cars. And if you want to look at the bigger picture, then you're looked at as a dissident. And that right there, when the government is enforcing policies like that and you're looked at as a bad citizen, that is fascism. That, that is what happened in Germany. The government had certain policies. Businesses that got on with those policies, they got cozy with the government, they succeeded. Those who did not, they didn't. They failed. And um, a lot of people didn't even know that the Jews were being um, carted off. People in Germany, Germans, German citizens, 
in, until 1943, and by that time, already a million Jews had been exterminated. I know that it's, it's a big leap to say that we are headed down the road of the type of fascism that the Nazi party followed, but that is what the definition of fascism is. If you have a hard time wrapping your head around it, it's not a political system per se. It's just where politics support the winners and the losers in a supposed free market system. I want to jump into another thing that really helps keep us free, and that is the press. The press is known as the fourth branch of the government. Of course, we've got the three pillars of what we've got with the republic system that we have under the Constitution, and that is um, the judicial branch, we've got the executive branch, and then the legislative branch. The fourth is the press, and it's, it's in the very First Amendment because it's so important that the press openly describe what's going on in the public so that people can be aware whether or not the system is working for them and, and whether or not they cast their vote for the people in office or others that are going to replace them and implement other policies. And what we've seen with the press lately is the press has taken sides. We've got the mainstream media that has taken more of a left-wing approach to reporting, and they report anything that occurs through the Democratic Party and through people in an office that are Democrats through rose-colored glasses. And anybody that is acting on the Republican Party, they're very skeptic, and they look at what could be the worst possible interpretation of what they're saying or what they're doing, and, and then put a negative spin on it. And the same thing happens on the other side with, say, Fox News. They look at it from a Republican standpoint, and they v- very seldom we have anything good to say about the Democratic Party or the president. And so we've got these two agents or these two uh, media outlets that are competing one against another, and that, that's okay. At least we have some competition one against another. But um, what we really ought to have is somebody that's unbiased reporting the news. And so case in point, let's go back to um, what happened in Vietnam and the reporting that occurred then and what's happening now with the Ukraine war. They were both, they are, the, the Ukraine war is a proxy war. We're at a proxy war with, with Russia. It was the Soviet Union in um, the 70s with the Vietnam War. And what happened there was there was a leak with Pentagon Papers. And that leak was something that the press jumped on right away, and it went to the Supreme Court, and it was determined whether or not the people that who leaked it, number one, would go to jail, and those who published it would go to jail. And the New York Times decided, yes, we're going to publish this, and they went forward, and there, there's a movie on that with Meryl Streep as the, as the star in the movie, and, and Tom Hanks is, is the one that's the editor in, in the New York Times, and he's publishing these stories. And they're looked at as heroes. And I, and I can't help but see the irony when we watch a film like that, and they're seen as heroes for publishing the lies that the government has been telling us because of these leaked documents out of the Pentagon, when at the same time we've got some more leaked documents that just happened a couple of weeks ago, and um, they're, they're saying something very similar, that the war is not going as well as we thought, that it's very unlikely that Ukraine will regain any of its territory, and that there will be an end of the war in sight. And 
nobody's focusing on what the content is in those leaked papers. They're focusing on how did this leak happen? Now, in the 70s, the the public was behind the protection of the person that leaked the information and the reporters defending their source and getting the information out to the public, and they were outraged that they were being lied to by the Nixon administration about how well the war was actually going, when, when in fact we were losing the war. And we didn't want to continue to be in the war. We needed to understand what the position was for the war to, to make educated votes for the next administration, but we were being lied to. Now here, the exact same thing happens, but who's hearing that? Who's hearing that the war is going badly, that all the billions of dollars that are going over to Ukraine are mainly going to oligarchical um, heads of government that are siphoning these, these dollars off and becoming ultra-wealthy and not actually using it for the defense of Ukraine? We're not hearing that. We're hearing that instead, this 21-year-old, um, he's caught and uh, ultimately taken down by the FBI, not because the FBI found him, but because 12 reporters, investigative reporters, from the New York Times, of all places, were put on the assignment to find this guy and turn him over to the FBI. That is unbelievable to me that we have turned 180 degrees from getting the truth out there to pointing at the person that's actually revealing the truth and villainizing him. And another thing that that was so ironic to me is they said, this is worse than Edward Snowden. Edward Snowden is a hero. Edward Snowden showed that the the government was spying on us. And uh, we need to know that, that the government was surveilling our emails and and surveilling even telephone calls without any type of due process. And Edward Snowden is the whistleblower for that. He's now exiled. He's living in Russia. And uh, we still have people that are the top brass saying that he ought to be, you know, brought back and thrown in a dark cell and with the key thrown away. But this guy showed us that we were being spied on. And you connect that with this this central bank digital currency, and they say, we're not going to spy on you. Oh, really? Well, you have every single time you've been given the opportunity to, and then when you've been exposed for it, you villainize the person that exposes you instead of saying, sorry, we shouldn't have done that, and changing your policies. This, to me, is extremely distressing, that we're not focusing on the fact that the war is being misreported in Ukraine, and we're villainizing the person that's actually getting to the truth. They're not even asking at these White House press conferences, they're not even asking the question, what about the content in the Pentagon Papers? Why weren't we told this information? They're only asking, how could this have possibly got leaked? How could you possibly let the truth come out to us? We're just the ignorant populace of this nation, and and we trust you, the elites in the government, to make all the right decisions, and um, we can't be trusted with the actual facts. And, and determining what the policy ought to be. We trust you with it, and you need to keep those facts under lock and key so no one else can get access to them. It just it blows my mind. We've got to go. Uh, that's all for today. We will talk to you next Monday. This is Life, Death, and Law, 560 AM KBLU. If you have questions or want to know more about something that was discussed today, please call the law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen at 928 728- 783 4575 or visit 
yumaestateplanning.com. Hey, Yuma, Dave Ramsey here. If you listen to our show or know anything about us, then you know I only recommend products and services I trust and I believe in. That's why when it comes to protecting your assets and planning for your loved one's future, you've got to call my friends Sean Garner and Adam Hansen at the law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen. I encourage you to take the first step and attend a free, no-pressure seminar and learn all of your options. The firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen has been educating the Yuma community for over 40 years, and this is the only area of law that they practice. Sean and Adam believe in giving free education to help people make smart decisions about their assets and help them leave a legacy for their family that they can be proud of. Schedule a free personal consultation today. Call 783-4575 or visit yumaestateplanning.com. 